Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Women's Wisdom Podcast. My name is Molly Estes. I'm clinical faculty at Loma Linda University in Southern California. And I'm Liz Calhoun. I'm an attending physician at Mercy Fitzgerald Hospital in Darby, Pennsylvania. And today we are very pleased to welcome to our show, Dr. Sarah Nislal. Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Gladly. Thank you for having me. Um, So I'm Sarah. I am currently in Pennsylvania. I work at the Hospital of University of Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm originally from New York City. um, And I've been in attending for about six years now. And I'm so excited to finally be able to do this. I know. I think that we, the three of us had the conversation about how we needed to do this two plus years ago at a bar in Baltimore. So <laughs> I feel as if this is a very nice full circle kind of, kind of a episode. So Sarah, you are so interesting because right before we started this recording, you literally told us that there was nothing at all fascinating about your life or nothing special about your journey. And you weren't sure what you're going to talk about. And then Liz listed off three major things that we were desperately curious to ask you about. So let's start at the beginning, the beginning of this entire journey. You didn't even want to go into medicine. Break that down for us. Yeah, so that's correct. Um, So there's nobody medical in my family at all. And um, you know, I come from a Jewish background and I feel like there were only two paths. You could either be a doctor or a lawyer. Those were like your only options. Um, and in my family, it was lawyer or accountant. Um, so that was the path I was going to go down. And uh, and um, my senior year, unfortunately, I had like a major life event um, where I was sexually assaulted and it totally changed everything for me, uh, my whole path and what I was going to do, even though when I was going through it, I really had no idea how much this was going to affect me. I worked at this very big fancy law firm called Skadden Arps. We were working like a hundred hour weeks, Um, all these emergencies called document emergencies. Uh, I had no life and it was really busy. And I just felt so empty and like my life had no purpose. And at the same point, I was volunteering um, to help women uh, and sexual and other sexual assault survivors and victims of domestic violence through this Mount Sinai Savvy program. And it really got me into the emergency department. We would advocate for um, all of these survivors. And I just loved being part of that whole you know, all the energy there and it was really inspiring. So then I decided to change my whole plan and do a post back and go to medical school. Wow. I honestly don't even know where to begin to unpack that all, Sarah. But first of all, oh my God, let me say, I'm so sorry for everything that happened to you. And I'm so proud of you for getting exactly where you are today. It takes a lot of inner strength that not a lot of people have. And I think it speaks so highly to your character. Well, thank you. I, I completely second that. I, I, I think that most of us can barely imagine the amount of effort and work that goes into just simply saying those few sentences and not glancing over, but very elegantly moving past what I'm sure was an incredibly trying and 
horrific, for lack of a better word, um, time of your life. And so you you have both of our, and I'm sure all of our listeners, admiration. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it feels like lifetimes ago, which it was, and then sometimes it's very raw, but um, it definitely pointed me that I needed to go. Um, and, you know, there are tons of survivors out there and you can do many wonderful things with your life, even having to go through all that. Your survivor story took you on a path to get you into emergency medicine and that path involved a postdoc and then medical school in the Caribbean. Can you tell us more about how you ended up in school there and then back in the United States for a residency and kind of where you ended up right now? You've taken a very winding and different path than most of us did. Yeah, so um, I mean, post-bac was a lot of fun. I went to NYU um, and I was, you know, much older than all of the other kids I was in class with. So that was uh, exciting. These um, children, these children around me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was nice. They kept me young and they were fun. And, you know, we, we definitely had different priorities at the time. Yeah, but <laughs> it was interesting. Um, <laughs> but then unfortunately, I mean, I had like another struck of bad luck. I ended up getting really sick for a whole year. I was in bed. Um, I ended up having Lyme's disease, which took a long time to diagnose and no one knew what was wrong with me. Um, but I would be like sleeping all the time. And, you know, I, I went to like every doctor under the sun. They thought I was crazy. I went to a psychiatrist. Finally, some, someone was like, you know what? I think you should go to an ID doctor and really figure out all these symptoms. And they tested me and I tested positive. So, um, I was able to get treatment, but it took like a year out of my post-bac journey. Um, and in the meantime, I was still trying to do some classes and it kind of like uh, threw me off course. So um, that's kind of how I ended up going to the Caribbean, just because even though my grades weren't bad, um, the MCAT kind of suffered and I had like a windy path through my post-bac journey. Um so the Caribbean was a perfect option for me. And, you know, I, I was really disappointed to not have gotten into the uh, state school or even to a DO school. Um, but after going to Grenada and, you know, making all the friends I made, having like the most amazing experience, um, I think everything happens for a reason. And I'm so happy it worked out the way it did. But wait, it doesn't stop there. So. <laughs> Residency training happens, early career happens. What was the next curveball? You make this sound so difficult. <laughs> I'm basically planning your prime time, like the series of primetime shows that are gonna, you know, depict your life. So we've got the house episode, you know, we've got the, you know, lawyer advocacy <laughs> episode. I can't think SVU. There you yeah. go. Law and order SVU <laughs> house to now. I don't even know yet. So tell us what happens. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so I finally land my dream job, which was at my residency, um, but at the community site. So not part of the main hospital, which was Hahnemann Hospital, um, part of Mercy Philadelphia, Mercy Fitzgerald Hospital. So you're still academic, but you had the whole community feel. It was amazing. You had residents. Um, I absolutely loved it. And then um, 
unfortunately, Hahnemann closed and we lost our residence. And so the whole job changed because uh, a lot of us, uh, the job was working with residents and now we had to navigate having no residence at all. Um, and then I think another year went by and our hospital group split and half of our hospital was acquired by Penn. And then the other half of our hospital, you know, stayed with Mercy. Um, is it like a red line down the hallway? Like this half is this person's, this half is the other person's? <laughs> More or uh, less. <laughs> yeah. Here you go. So yeah, so Mercy ha Philadelphia Hospital became Penn and Mercy Fitz stayed at Mercy. And the way they kind of broke our group up, which was a really tight knit group, was by um, a seniority, which I think was really great because how can you tell someone who's worked somewhere for 25 years that it's time to move on to somewhere new? Um, I mean, and I know I was only a couple, a year or two out. I was devastated. I cried. I didn't want to move on, but I think, uh, I think in the end, it was really fair. And, you know, we were all terrified to go to this, you know, pen and uh, be part of a new place and a new system and learn all the new ways. Um, but in the end, it, it ended up working out really well. And I was able to become the assistant medical director of um, the emergency department. So now Mercy Philadelphia is Hub Cedar. And I don't think I would have had that opportunity before. Um, but I, like I was saying, it was kind of a happy accident because uh, even though I did get the job, I think I was the only one who applied. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to be that first person there saying, you know what, it's mine. And there's so many great ways to get jobs and positions and mentorships if you just volunteer and not enough people do. Yeah, and that's 100%. Like if you don't apply, you'll never get the job, right? So um, I think that's amazing advice. That was something my grandfather used to say, you do not get 100% of the opportunities you never go up for. Are you able to tell us more about kind of how your job has transitioned from this community-based teaching program to something similar, but now you have a much larger academic site affiliated with you? How's your day-to-day -day life changed? Um, yeah. Well, so, you know, it's, we still have, so the um, Hub Cedar portion is still the community feel. And even though we have like a few residents that med students rotate through, it's mostly just attendings uh, and APPs. Um, so that kind of still feels like home. And then going to the big academic center was such a, it's such a change. And, um, you know, I don't do like rural medicine, but community medicine is definitely different than big academic medicine in terms of just, you know, you're consulting for everything and um, everybody, you know, needs to have a say of what's going on. Whereas in the community more you're in charge. Um, you do more things by yourself. You don't have to consult for everything. Um, and I feel like I don't have someone looking over my shoulder as much as I do in academic medicine. Um, and the other thing is the flow, right? People move way faster in a community hospital. I think you're able to just dispo people a lot quicker. Where boarding times in a big academic center are like hours and hours to days, um, which is something I was never used to. Was there anything that you had to adjust 
about your approach or philosophy of emergency medicine, kind of making this transition in between practice settings. It's a question that I find my students asking me a lot this time of year is, well, what's the difference between all these different um, areas where I could potentially practice emergency medicine? And I, I tend to tell them that, well, it's all the same medicine. It's the system stuff that changes, but it's all the same medicine. Have you, have you found that to be true or am I completely lying to all of my trainees? No, absolutely. I mean, the medicine is the same, right? That doesn't change no matter where you go. Um, I think it's how much of the actual hands-on or medicine you're practicing, right? So for example, in the community, you'll probably do more shoulder reductions, ankle reductions, things like that, um, more procedures where, you know, now there's a huge center where ortho has a million residents and, and they want to get a piece of everything that you're part of, but you also have your EM residents who want to be part of it. And sometimes um, it's kind of a, a little battle between who gets to do what. Where in the community, when you don't have ortho, it's just you. So I think that's what's, that's a huge difference. And I actually think it's a really nice mix. Um, some days I'm like, oh gosh, I don't, I, I don't have time to do this right now. And then, uh, then I'm like, well, thank goodness I'm not losing any of my skills and I have to do this. So, <laughs> so with so many different life experiences, this early on in your I'll say career, you have accumulated such a unique perspective in all the different pathways that are available to somebody to end up where they think that they want to be or where they never even imagined that they want to be. And this is my obtuse way of saying, you have wisdom, you have wisdom to offer. And don't you dare look at me that way because <laughs> you, um, and you're not going to be able to fight me on this, uh, on this opinion. So when when trainees come to you for advice, when they're searching, when they're asking you, how do I plan? What do I do? What's your, what's your go-to sentiment for them? You know, what are some of the truths that you've learned in your life that you would like to pass on? Well, I think nothing goes to plan, right? We all had this plan that we think where it's going to work out. I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I was going to be a lawyer if it was up to me. So <laughs> obviously life happens and things go in many different directions. And I think kind of leaning into the kind of chaos of it all and craziness and just going with the flow um, and kind of being flexible um, has really helped me kind of make my path and make me be successful. Um, you know, if you want something and it's still, there's still a wrench in it, right? Like when I got sick with Lyme's disease, I still wanted to be a doctor. I could have given up and said, no, I don't want to do this. I'm too tired. I'm too exhausted. You still have to have perseverance, but you know, sometimes you'll have to go to the Caribbean or do something that you didn't plan on. Um, but in the end, you get to party on a boat on the weekends in the Caribbean versus <laughs> shuffling in the snow. Wow, salt in that wound. Okay. <laughs> you know, Molly, everyone keeps on talking about these boats in the Caribbean. What are we doing wrong with our lives? We need better <laughs> friends. That's really what it comes down to. We need friends in the Caribbean with boats. <laughs> Sarah, we all need friends with boats, I think. <laughs> I also think, aside from just like going with the flow, um, you know, I, this is a lifelong path. Um, and I'm still, I don't, 
I don't necessarily know where I want to be all the time. Like everyone's like, what's your 10 year plan? I never really had that. Uh, and I don't think you have to have that. It, it, and it's ridiculous, right? I mean, I don't know. Um, my 10 year plan didn't involve COVID or, you know, all these other things. So um, I, I think it's okay not to know everything and plan so far in advance. Um, but, you know, you need some goals for sure. So taking a step aside from work, uh, work life, how's home life? What do you, what do you do with yourself when you're not, you know, fixing all the systems problems, uh, in a medical director role or molding the next generation at your academic site? Uh, what do you do for fun? Uh, what do you do in your free time? Um, well, I have a baby girl, uh, who's almost one. I can't even believe this happened. So fast. Uh, it really flew by. Uh, to be honest, I just feel like I was just pregnant with her. And I mean, you know, when we were all hanging out, I feel like I was just pregnant with her. Um, and uh, she's great. So she takes up like the majority of my time, my free time, um, and my two dogs. <laughs> like between them, I feel like my life is pretty full. Um, but we still, you know, I always love to travel, and that was always my thing to go somewhere exotic every year um and now we just take her with us so her name's theodora and her birth birthday's coming up on july 1 so it's it's so it's i mean it's been like the most amazing journey um and then to throw like another wrench in my crazy life right it took me a long time to have thea because we um struggled with i had two miscarriages and we had to go through ivf so to even have her here, um, and then her birth was extremely traumatic. Oh my gosh, we both almost died. Um, so this is like a real feat for us and I'm, I'm super excited to celebrate her first year birthday. <laughs> really, I'm just throwing it all in. <laughs> That's real life. Yeah, I mean, I think being a mom is, is one of the best things I've ever done. One of the questions I like to ask my coworkers who have kids is, okay, so how much of being a parent is like being an ER doc? Um, well, I think, uh, you know, you got to juggle everything and uh, you, you got to go with the flow and there you got to put out fires and your sleep schedule's off <laughs> and your shift life. It's like shift life all the time. That is what everyone unanimously says is like circadian rhythm. Forget about it. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's, uh, but I mean, I, I think it, there's also a lot of rewarding things and, um, just like in medicine, um, you get that one patient that really makes you so happy and every day Thea smiles at me. That's the same feeling. <laughs> oh, what has surprised you most about being a mom? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I'll be honest, right? So everyone's like, oh my God, I knew instantly when I saw my baby that I was so in love and I was meant to be a mother and blah, blah, blah. And I, I mean, I think part of it was that I was terrified because we both almost died. Um, but I didn't feel that exact connection immediately. And I felt like such a fraud initially, like I'm not, I'm not a real mother and this isn't how a mother's supposed to be. Um, and over time, obviously that changed and I absolutely adore, adore my daughter and I love her, but it, it wasn't like 
an instant thing for me. Um, so that was pretty shocking because everyone's like, everything's great. Uh, and the other thing I will say that's surprising or not surprising is breastfeeding is really hard and no one talks about that. <laughs> Nobody oh talks. I, I, since I really appreciate you saying both of those things because I think, okay, this is personal soapbox. Um, I personally think that we do not do a good enough job in the United States. And I don't know if it's just our culture or what, but we don't talk about parental women's stuff in real terms nearly enough. Breastfeeding is hard. It, all of my, my sister-in-laws have struggled so much with breastfeeding and they come back from every lactation appointments, you know, in tears thinking that there's something wrong with them because they can't do it. No, it's, you don't know how to do it. Baby doesn't know how to do it. It's literally a learned thing between the two of you. And sometimes it just never happens. And miscarriages happen and it is traumatizing and horrific, but it's not your fault. And no, you don't love this thing that's waking you up every two hours instantaneously. I mean, you do, but you don't. And these are the things that we need to talk more about. These are real life women's issues, like so many other issues that we don't do enough talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, to be honest, for the first couple months, they're kind of just little screaming, eating blobs. <laughs> give you a lot back. So. <laughs> and and you're going through so much. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, you can you can take hours just talking about all of the things women go through, and then having to go back to work after all of everything you've been through and your whole new life. Um, and trying to navigate breastfeeding if you're breastfeeding um, while you're at work and pumping. I mean, you can go on and on. It's just, I, I, I have so much respect for all women who are navigating this in any way or form, whether you're breastfeeding or not. Um, however, you became a mother and, um, you know, just how you're, if you're working part-time, full-time, or just even staying at home, all of these jobs are really difficult. <sighs> I have to say, Sarah, I don't think we've had such an absolutely real, straightforward, personal delve into all aspects of someone's life. So thank you for sharing all of this with the whole world. But it's so encouraging to hear someone say all of this, like Molly was just saying, saying all these hard truths about what it's really like to be a woman and a mom and a physician and a human being who has struggles. So thank you for sharing all of this with us. Well, thank you for having me. Um, you know, I, I know I shared a lot of like doom and gloom, but honestly, I have a really wonderful life. I'm very happy where I am. Um, all of these things made me who I am today. Um, and I think in, in, you know, when you put it in perspective with all the things that a lot of our patients are coping with, I feel like it's not much at all that I've been through. Um, but it, it is real life, like you said, and there are so many of us that I wish we would just talk about all these things more. I don't think any of us could say it any better than that. So to everyone listening, talk to each other, support each other, learn each other's stories, and we will see you next time on our next journey with the Women's Wisdom Podcast. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. 
For more information about AAEM, visit our website at www.aaem.org. Find all episodes of this podcast and our other podcast series on the AAEM website under resources and then publications. Join us again next episode for a new journey through emergency medicine.